not that I didn't know that there wasn't racism, and I knew that there's racism. We see it all the time, but to actually see it live, uh, way more eye-opening than seeing it on TV and hearing, you know, rant, racist rants. To actually see it under uh, an umbrella of I'm the ref and I'm just going to throw my authority around, man. It just it's it's it was different. It was it was an eye-opening and heart-opening experience for me for sure. Well, we're hearing today from Steve Anderson. He's a high school football coach and a dear friend of ours, Jason and myself, and has served in local church and campus ministry in one form or another for 17 years. And currently as a high school football coach, he literally moved his family to another part of the state where he lives just so that he could donate and volunteer his time as a football coach and invest in a community that he deeply cares about. And today Steve is talking to us about students and race here in America today. I'm Jeff Eckert. And I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Well, season three, episode one, we are so excited to be back. It's been a few months since we've recorded any new episodes like this, but we are excited and thrilled to be back with you. Yeah, we have taken the summer off, not because we didn't want to provide any episodes for you to listen to, but because our organization travels during the summer. We put on NTS camp in multiple locations across the country. We have traveled over 5,500 miles just to get to all these different locations around the country. And uh, we were very excited to be back in the studio recording, but we had a great summer. We did. NTS Camp continues to grow. It's part of what we do. And we are one of the fastest growing camp ministries in the country. And so with the thousands of students, hundreds of youth workers, we were immersed in student ministry all summer and really had an incredible incredible time at camp. I know we came back pretty exhausted. We had eight weeks. We were in multiple locations, some at the same time, but it's fun to grow. It was fun to be with students. We had a great time. Yeah, and now we get to record podcasts. We know that you are anticipating another season because of the listenership that we have. We are very thankful and blown away with the number of of people that have listened to our podcast, even while we are gone this summer. But we are up to 50,000 where we know the listenership is uh, over 50,000. And so we, we feel very grateful to hit that milestone. Yeah, we want to express our thanks to you for following us in this journey. It was just a little less than a year ago that we started this podcast, and we are honestly blown away by your response and encouragement and how you've connected with us. And we've added a couple other elements for this year. We added a YouTube channel. All of our past episodes are on our YouTube channel at The Thought Factory. You'll find links in uh, some of our Facebook pages. So if you go to our Never the Same page on Facebook, you'll see those. And we're recording some extras and some behind the scenes. Some of you know what we look like. Some of you don't. If you don't want to know, you won't go to the YouTube. Don't channel. go to YouTube. And some of you, if you do, you'll be sorry you know what we look like. But. Yep. And some of you know what we look like, and there may be two people in this world that are like, eh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. So we are... We're excited to add that as well and add some extras and behind the scenes. And also, uh, I personally am going to be posting some of the people that we're interviewing, also some other behind the scenes pictures on my own Instagram, which is at Jeff Eckert, J-E-F-F-E-C-K-A-R-T. So 
you can find some pictures there as well. Now, typically, we base our last two seasons on our research that we're doing with students, and we are going to continue to do that. However, today, for this episode and our next one, we're doing a a one- and two-part podcast episodes on race and students. And so we are diverting away a little bit, but we will come back to that because we've got some really pretty eye-opening statistics that we are learning from students just here in the last few weeks. Yeah, we continue to do the research, look at the research, and and ask students questions about various topics. And again, we, we look at the, the research, we ask adults what they think students are thinking, and we just are asking questions based on this research. And we want to just get our thoughts going and gears turning. And we want to thank you again for going on this journey with us. And if you haven't, if you're new to our podcast, we encourage you to go back and you can listen to seasons one and two. We've also got another short miniseries that we did leading up to See at the Poll and Students in Prayer that was released just a few weeks ago from this podcast. But again, thank you for being on the journey with us. And today we will be discussing students and race, and we're jumping into something that just recently has become a very controversial expression of this idea of race, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Hello? Hey, Steve. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Doing well. Doing well. What you up to? Um, I don't know, about 3.15. Oh, cool. Well, man, thanks for doing this. Yeah, yeah. Steve, in the last few weeks, you've had some students express their personal beliefs during the National Anthem, like we're seeing across the country. You've had some behind-the-scenes conversations with them before and after. So tell us about what's happened in those conversations and what that's led to as a result of them expressing themselves during the anthem. Well, what's interesting, um, you know, this week talking to, you know, a couple of the guys, um, especially after Sunday, um, all, the, all the NFL oh, yeah, right. on Sunday, um, I, I asked these guys, you know, what, what's your step two? I said, because obviously step one for all the kneeling is, is you know, we just want to be heard. And now you have someone's ear. What are you going to do with it? And what's been really cool is the the guys reached out to the, um, you know, we have a, a liaison to the Ramos Police Department that comes in you know, to the school every other day or whatever. And they actually reached out to him to actually come and talk to the guys. And so start the conversation, which is, I was, I would hope the rest of the country would want to do that. Instead of just saying, we just want to kneel and then it goes from there. It seems like that's where it's ending is the kneeling. And there's really no conversations after that. So these kids are actually kind of maybe leading the way and taking it to the next step of having conversations with the police or whomever they, they feel, you know, insulted by or, or intimidated by or whatever. So it's kind of neat. Well, kind of what happened this week. Now, tonight, I've been, they told me they didn't tell any other coach. And I'm not saying anything. I guess about 20 of them are kneeling today. I'm like, man, I am. I, I Come on, man. But th- they're going to do it. And, you know, I'm not going to tell them no. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You expecting a really crazy response from the crowd you think um i guess we'll see because i the other school that we're playing is about the same makeup as us you know about 80 85 black um so i don't know um you know if i i know we're not going to reach out to them but it's interesting to see what they do if they also do it and i i am expecting some response from the crowd because the crowd is actually mostly not mostly white but a lot more white than the, the players have you asked them what their reason behind kneeling 
I did. I did. And actually I asked that about a month ago when, um, Pierre, which you met Pierre, he's the kid I brought yep. with me to IW. Yep. Um, he was the one who kind of started and I asked him why. And, um, his response was, um, you know, how can we honor a country that doesn't respond or, or allows things to happen to us, you know, especially with the police brutality and, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, try and question them and prove them wrong. I mean, that, that's why that they're kneeling. They're kneeling. The reason why Colin Kaepernick knelt, not the reason why all these other guys knelt uh, this past Sunday, their protest is against the police violence and then not, not being heard and, and seeing the police get away with doing this stuff to young black men. Hmm. And that's what they see. That's what they see. That's what they hear. Again, they're 16, 17 years old. You know, they just see it and hear it, and that's what it is. So, It is interesting that the Colin Kaepernick thing is over a year old, and yep. it was dying down, and then all of a sudden it sparked everybody to kneel because Trump said something. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's where kneeling now is almost like a protest against Trump instead of actually what Colin's intent was. Yeah, it's interesting because that is why they know was because of Trump's remarks. But I don't know who's taking it back to the Kaepernick thing because they actually, you're right, they, they are not the same reason. No. Um, last year, you know, a lot of the college guys, I know um, state and Michigan guys were, you know, raising the fist thing, like, yep. uh, you know, the Olympic guys, you know. So that was kind of another protest. Instead of kneeling, they would raise the fist. And that was more last year. I haven't seen any of that this year. So talk about, I know those students... Um told you what they were going to do ahead of time. So just talk us through that. The one young man came up to me and, and asked me if, if he thought that he should do it. And my very first question to him was, why do you want to do it? I said, because if you're doing it because Colin Kaepernick did it and some other um, players did it, then don't do it just for the sake of doing it because you're, you're a young black man and you think you have to do it. So I asked him, why are you doing it? And his response to me was, how can I pay respects to a country or pledge allegiance to a flag or show my respect to a society that shows me, a young black man, no um, remorse, shows me no um, justice, that when we get beat down, when we get pushed down, when we get shot and killed, nothing happens to um, white America. And then we're just told if we don't like it, leave the country. That's been the response that these kids have heard. If you don't like it, leave the country. And I just, I, not that I had to allow him to do it, but man, I, I backed him a hundred percent for, for kneeling during the national anthem. And then talk about what you saw during the game then. Yeah, we played a game against one of our, our biggest uh, rivals. It was our third game. And I knew he was going to kneel. And sure enough, actually this game, two of them actually knelt. And I just looked and saw that they were kneeling and the thing is, our players line up on the goal line, uh, shoulder to shoulder, which these two young men did. They all take off their helmets, which our two guys did also. As soon as the national anthem camp comes on, uh, they knelt. Um, and as soon as the national anthem was done, they stood up and put their helmets right back on like everyone else. So it was literally a, I don't know, a one-minute thing in which they were, you know, these are two smaller guys, so they're next to big linemen, and you can't really see them. Um, unless you're really looking for him. So it just so happens this game, the head referee, um, his son is a serviceman overseas, and this referee saw the young man doing that. 
Now, that's not why the young men did it, but they the refs saw them. And the players didn't know. We didn't know that this ref's son served in the military. And come to find out, um, about halfway through the second quarter, one of the players came up to me and told me that the ref was harassing him, intimidating him, saying, you know, I can't believe that you would disrespect our country. You disrespect my son. You disrespect everyone that fought for your right to do that. And how dare you, you know, just carrying on and going on and on and on. And um, the player told me at least 15 times the referee made a, a derogatory comment to him about his stance on the kneeling and actually did what seemed to throw a couple flags against him during, during the, uh, uh, the first half that were, eh, you know, questionable calls, which, you know, that's kind of refereeing anyways. So when the player brought it to me, I brought it to the attention of the head coach, who then at halftime went to the referee and discussed it with him. The ref was, his, his mood escalated quickly. It went from zero to 100 in about two seconds and actually questioned us to why we would actually allow our players to do that. And, and he may actually made the comment, I'll get him during track season because he's also an official during track season. And for the first time, I guess, live, I saw what these young men deal with. This referee, a white 50-year-old male, um, was intimidating a young black teenager. And I saw it live for the very first time. And our players were shaken up by it. They just felt like they had no voice, no say. They're told that in America we have freedoms, we can do whatever we want, and that everyone died for um, the rights to do this. And then when they use those rights, they're told not to use those rights because of those men that um, were disrespecting those men that did that. And it was just a very confusing time for these kids. And um, it was it was, it was was a great learning opportunity for sure. We're taking advantage of it right now. So talk us back through your relationship with that particular school. I graduated from Ramos High School in actually 1987. And back then the makeup was probably about 85 to 9% white and uh, 10 to 15%. It was mostly black as, as far as the, the minorities. And um, a few years ago, I just felt a call to go back there. I moved to West Michigan for 20 years and just felt a call to go back to Romulus to help coach and also being on staff with Phyllis for Christian Athletes to maybe be in the chaplaincy role or pastoral role. And it just worked out, and we moved back last year. And um, right now, the makeup of the school is almost flip-flopped. I mean, it's it's about 85% uh, black and Less than 10% white. We have a Hispanic population and um, an Asian population, but it's it's predominantly a, a African-American school. I would consider the socioeconomic low, low middle class, if not even low class. Um, a, over half of our kids are in a one-parent home. A lot of our kids don't even live in Romulus. They, they drive in from Inkster or Wayne, which are surrounding areas. Inkster doesn't even have a school system, so they come into Romulus. Um, and about five or six years ago, when Inkster High School shut down, which was 100% black, we had a huge white flight out of Romulus. A lot of the white students left and went to um, some southern suburbs and western suburb schools. So my call back to Romulus, I didn't know what it was, and it was to coach football. And now um, we see it maybe to, to maybe walk through these these students with this this uh, the process of, of this this deal that they're going through right now. I mean, it's not just like accepting the fact, but the fact that you are in a position to to challenge both sides, to be able to challenge 
the refs, but also challenge the students in their decision and not just say, are you doing it because culture's saying so or leading the way, or are you doing it because you have a conviction to, to say something? And so your influence in these, these young men's lives are, are important. And you have credibility both in, in the fact that you have history with Romulus and you know athletics, athletes, and you're not there to, to drive a, a different agenda. You, you care about the character of who they are. And so, no, I think this is, this is fascinating. Yeah, I think, Steve, too, it just speaks so much to the fact that you've been in the trenches with students both on campus and in local church youth ministry for what, over 15 years now, right? Something like that. Yeah, this is your 17, yeah. Yeah, 17. So being in the trenches with campus ministry and local church youth ministry for 17 years just speaks so much to where your heart and passion is. And we want people to hear your example. You're a a high-level business person in that community, but also very immersed in students and on campus, which, as you know, is something that we're passionate about, too. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. You know, this, um, this rest, he, uh, Jeff and I, I kind of told you about this and I didn't know it was the same guy, but last year, um, we played a, a school it's called garden city, which is just a little North and West of here. And they are kind of like Romulus used to be They're They're mostly a white school and they're, you know, they're feisty, you know, and football is a feisty game, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, you, you see that every time, but every time there was a scuffle, every time there was a, a pushing match. This referee went to our guy every time and threw the flag on our kid every time, whether we started it, whether we uh, were the second man in, the third, it didn't matter. This ref went, went after our guy every time. And the first few times I, I didn't realize it, but then I started watching him. And sure enough, every time he went after our guy, I just didn't realize it was the same guy we had two weeks ago going after our kids again. And not that I didn't know that there wasn't racism, and I knew that there's racism. We see it all the time, but to actually see it live, uh, way more eye-opening than seeing it on TV and hearing, you know, rant, racist rants. To actually see it under a, an umbrella of "I'm the ref and I'm just going to throw my authority around," man, it just—it's—it's—it was different. It was—it was an eye-opening and heart-opening experience for, for me, for sure. What would you say to? youth workers about this particular issue what what advice or counsel or encouragement instruction would you give them yeah uh for sure we we have to we have to be open to both sides um i I think so many times we just want our point to be heard and we're so quick to say yeah i understand you but i understand you but i understand you but and we hear that term so often and instead of just really listening to the person and really, really looking at it from their point of view, and I, it's hard to do. And I know it's hard to do because I didn't really, again, I knew there was racism. I, not that I didn't believe it, but when I saw it is when my, my, my mind changed. And we really have to be open to the other side um, and just not shoot people down because we don't agree with their, their opinions or their facts that they're bringing us. And I think we're just too quick to, to to dismiss, especially students, because we just say, well, they're just kids, so their their opinion's not valid because they really haven't lived through anything, or 
um, you know, they, they're fine. You know, they, they live in a nice area. So how can they have any valid points? So we have to be really, really careful with that because they are human beings and they do have really valid points and just really be opening and open to listening to them and looking at things through their lenses for sure. We thank you for your time first, but also thank you for your leadership and, and what you, you devote your life to. Um, like we said earlier, students, athletes, um, and ultimately Christ and to see that be played out, lived out in your life is always encouraging. It's, uh, inspiring. And so thank you. Oh, I appreciate you guys, man, for what you guys do for sure. Thanks. See Steve. You Miss see you, man. Yeah. All right. Bye. So as we're talking about students in race today, I feel like we need to give a little bit of our background, make some introductory statements because it is such, uh, a not only popular topic right now, it's being talked about a lot, but it can be a very sensitive thing as well. We, we recognize we're two white guys, white guys, and we want to tell you a little bit of just where we're coming from in this conversation. You have a couple of white guys talking about race. The criticism can be there, but we want to, we want to join in the conversation because it's obviously relevant and we care enough about multiple races. So for me growing up, um, I went to a, a high school that had 48 countries included in the student population. And I remember playing on the soccer team with guys from uh, Mexico and Bosnia. And there was multiple ethnicities on the track team. It wasn't a predominantly white. Maybe it was. Maybe I was blinded to it. But there was a lot of races in my high school growing up. And, and so for me, I want to talk about this. I want to, to add to the conversation and try to understand what the other side is feeling. For me, I was born into a neighborhood where I was the minority as a child. And that was back in the days when we all hung out outside and played outside together all the time. And I remember in fifth grade, I attended a, a predominantly white school. But in fifth grade, we integrated and that created a lot of interesting scenarios for our school, but it created a lot of new friendships for me. And part of my journey, too, is, is the church that I served on uh, about 15 years ago. They, we began this process of, of really trying to embrace the community that surrounded our church because we started off as a very rural church, and as our city spread, they uh, a lot of the ethnicities, really the, the makeup began to change in our neighborhood, and we wanted to embrace the community. So we went on this journey together as a church, and I was a member of the staff at that time, and I still attend this church, and and that saw a lot of changes that we made to our ministry, and I found that from growing up and going through the integration process of our school, it helped me a little bit at least to to try to understand what it was like to make that change from being a primarily mono-ethnic ministry to one that truly represented the community in which our church exists. And that led to the fact that in a church that at that time when we started, and we were early in those stages, was about 5% people of color. Our ministry to students in high school that I work with represented between 30 and 35% students of color. And I felt like for our ministry and our students, they really led the way for our congregation and in helping to make that transition. You know, we're part of NTS camp. It's part of our organization, and we definitely want to 
be aware of what's going on in these areas as well. And we look at our numbers and we represent truly the general population. And we're at currently over the last few years, roughly about 30% um, people of color and non-white. So we, we really try to understand not just what's going on with students, but in, in the general population because things are changing and we want to keep learning. Yeah, obviously there are current events that are coming to our attention. Uh, it seems like it's more of a higher frequency than maybe in my memory uh, growing up. But, you know, you have, you have incidents like Ferguson that happened in 2014. Um, you have the start of Black Lives Matter because of Trayvon Martin and, and the death of him. And, and then you have Colin Kaepernick last year going, I don't, I don't agree what's happening to the black person due to the, the force of police. And so he, he protests the, the national anthem in 2016. And you have Charlottesville and a clash of protests in 2017, just a few months ago. And, and then the most recent like major anthem protests of the NFL just in the last week or so from, from this recording. And so all these newsworthy events just kind of show that there is a increase in the frequency and not saying that we are, we're blind to it. Maybe we were, but it's, it's allowing what's happening under the surface to bubble up a lot more and a lot hotter. And, uh, it, it causes us to have to take a look at, at ourself at our country and our interaction with our fellow people that, that we um, live with, that we are interacting with, whether it's of the same race, the different race, whatever it is, we have to have this conversation even in our own heads. Yeah, we asked students recently, what do you believe is the most important problem facing America? And about 23.5% said that it was the issue of racism. And what caught our attention was was that number. That's a big number. That's almost one out of four. But another thing that really grabbed our attention was that students from the southern region of the United States, their response to that was even higher. They were about 40%. So in other words, one out of four students uh, in the United States are saying that race is the number one, the most important problem facing America. And two out of five believe it's the most important problem facing America that live in the South. So it is a it's something that's on students' minds. And again, if it's on students' minds, we want to be talking about it on this podcast. Yeah, we all sense the atmosphere changing in the overall culture of America, and that affects students in their schools, at youth group, and what they're discussing. They're trying to answer questions. They're trying to ask questions. Are we as youth leaders willing to step into this arena and, and navigate with them? As the tension is building, they're still going to be more questions and more higher frequency, I should say, of, of incidents until we really look at what's underneath the surface. And there's going to be more than meets the eye. And as we'll be talking about throughout this podcast, I think what comes to mind for me is that scripture that says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And in this whole environment that we're in right now and what's happening with race in America, as youth workers— who have the ears of students, we need to 
to be quick ourselves as an example to listen. And that, that goes to our social media feeds, our conversations, things we're saying. Because students need to see from us that we're listening first. Everything, everyone seems to be so quick to throw out their opinion and not really hear from maybe an opposing point of view. And if all of us would just take the time to do that, boy, it seems like this conversation might be a little bit more productive than what it seems to be now. Well, even when we were talking to Steve earlier in this episode, how he he was willing to ask one of the, the players on the team, why are you choosing to do this? And was willing to listen to him. And because of his response, he just stepped down and, and was like, all right, you have the right to do that. I'm not going to step in your way. He was willing to listen to what he is, what this player is feeling as a, a young man, a young African-American man playing football and, and saying, all right, I have enough respect for you as an adult that I'm going to step down and I may have a little bit of a difference of why you're doing it, but he's at least listening to that conversation. It reminds me of that Augustine quote where he says, to know all is to forgive all. What that means is the more we can understand and know about where someone's coming from, the easier that we can forgive them. And that's what I've found to be the case that in almost every circumstance I can think of in my whole life, if I maybe initially disagree with someone, if I'm willing to take the time and personally sit down and talk with them or to hear from them, hear from their heart, why are they doing or thinking the way that they are, I'll probably be able to come to the conclusion that I can totally be in their shoes and understand. And that, to me, is one of the biggest shortcomings that that we're facing right now is people not being willing to listen because the more that we know, the more we hear someone's story, then the more we can understand where they're coming from. Well, it's it's sometimes where we don't want to listen. We don't want to. We just want to project what we believe, and and when that belief is challenged, we have a tendency in our own selves to eliminate ourselves from that conversation and and not and almost just place judgment on the other person instead of like inviting them in into our conversation that we may have in our head about something other than what we believe that opposes our beliefs and by allowing somebody to just I don't know speak calmly with respect asking about where they're coming from on that belief we lose some of that respect when we just project our anger on on what's happening and quickly allow emotions to to guide our our words as we're going to talk about in a few minutes here after the break I think we might really be surprised at a different perspective on race and students. And it actually comes from an event in the life of Jesus that we're going to look at and explore as we think about students and race in America. My name is Derek Idle, and I'm the student ministries pastor at 12 Stone Church right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I lead with Jeff Eckert of Never the Same Camps as well as uh, Charlie Alcock uh, from the student ministries department at Indiana Wesleyan University. And between us, we have uh, nearly 60 years of student ministry experience, and we lead what's called New Level Forum. It is an equipping and development environment for those that are young in student ministry who want to grow in their leadership and get hands-on experience with experienced leaders. And so this is a two-year program that is unbelievable and life-changing. We are entering into our third two-year cohort this fall, and we would like to invite you to be a part of it. If you want to be challenged, if you want to grow in your leadership in every area, sign up at neverthesame.org forward slash new level. 
Jeff, you shared with me something that I have not really ever heard anyone else talk about race. Are you willing to share that with us right now? Yeah, it was a few months ago. It was a moment I just won't forget. It was earlier this spring uh, during a worship service at my home church. And I think as I've shared, my home church has been going through the process of really embracing the ethnic and socioeconomic diversity in our community for a long time, for the last 15 years or so at least. And and it was kind of an out-of-the-blue moment. I was standing there during our worship service. I think it was during the musical section. And I felt like God just whispered to me, I'm ready to heal the wounds and division of race in America, but are you ready to receive it? And that struck me, and I didn't really make much sense of it until later. And this May of this year in 2017, I was able to share in Washington, D.C. at a public event with the National Day of Prayer. And I was asked to talk about healing, and I want to share with you a little bit about what I shared there, but even more importantly now as I look back, I think about how much I believe this really applies to the climate of the issues concerning race in America today. And I shared out of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, I'll, I'll summarize it. Jesus walks up onto the scene. There's an argument going on, and the argument is about why weren't your disciples able to um, heal this boy who was possessed by an evil spirit? And so Jesus does some investigating, finds out, walks up, and delivers this boy from what was happening in his life. And what happened afterwards was uh, it says that he looked like um, he was a corpse. And in Mark chapter 9, it, uh, it says in verse 26, the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. And then it said, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, we don't know how long he looked like a corpse. When we read the scriptures and the gospels, things seem to happen so fast, but he could have been laying there for a long time looking like a corpse. And what I felt like the Lord was asking me to share before the nation in D.C. in May was that healing is a process, and we got to go through the threshold of pain to get on the other side of healing. And as a, as a church, as a body of believers, as people that lead students, we don't need our own human perspective we need the perspective of God. And the human perspective in this scenario with Jesus was, he's dead. He looked like a corpse. And that was the word that spread. However, upon waiting and upon knowing what Jesus really did, it was that he had to go through that process of looking like he was dead in order to really fully come alive and be healed. And that's what I would say about where we are today when it comes to race. I think the perspective that I have is that that healing process has begun. Now, I know that may sound crazy to some people, and you may think, oh, you're totally naive. You don't really know what's going on. But looking at it from God's perspective, no doubt there's so much pain, there's so much anguish, there's so much frustration, there's division, and it seems like we've gone backwards in the last months and, and years. But consider this, the awareness of the race issue, particularly in the white evangelical church in America, I believe is coming to a point where most people are saying, yes, it is an issue. And I think that is a, that's a major obstacle that we are in the process of crossing over. Now, in that, is it possible that we are actually in the early stages of healing from this? Now, on the surface, you may look at it and say, no way, look at Charlottesville, look at all the events we've talked about earlier in this podcast and how 
much we've gone backwards in these issues. Now, you can look at it that way, and there may be some truth to that, but my question has been, is God taking us through all this pain right now to bring us through this painful threshold into a time of healing? And people may look today and say, well, it's dead. We're, we're, you know, we've moved so far backwards, and, and we're beyond the hope of God. And I think those of us listening as leaders within the church, within the body of Christ— we're definitely saying, no, That's we never believe we're a place without hope. So, is it possible, is my question for you to consider, that we're in the early stages of healing? And if you look up healing online, you'll see there's four distinct stages. I'm not going to get into them, but but is it possible that that wound is being ripped open now and God's doing that? Is this time right now, very strategic, that God in this in this present moment is beginning to answer the prayers of his people for decades and even centuries for God to to begin to bring a healing that we've never seen when it comes to the issue of race. Yeah, it can easily be something that we just want to leave below the surface. But I think a lot of these events are are erupting uh, because there is something under the surface that has not healed properly. And there is a, a point in history where it's, the reconciliation, the healing has to happen. And maybe this point now is, is happening because we are, are sensing God moving and, and allowing us to go through the pain, go through the death and the corpse of the situation of race and the division and, and say, it's not dead. I'm bringing it back to life, but right now it's going to appear worse off. And yet, it's causing us to talk about it. It's causing a lot more people to talk about it. And as painful as it can be, because it, it sometimes it questions the status quo, but that status quo needs to be eliminated in order for us to, to really discuss and start to heal. And without being experts in this area, and we've said that up front, I would still say this youth workers, parents, adults, whoever's listening to this, let me just directly challenge you to consider seeing the life that Jesus is bringing rather than just focusing on the death. No doubt there's so much pain, and we're experiencing some setbacks without a doubt. However, are those, as people have said, are those setbacks are set up for what God wants to do? And I really believe it is, and I think as youth workers— We've got to grasp this moment and bring hope and healing with opening and listening ears and getting in the same room together. We've talked about that because this is a time right now. This is a moment for us, and we can let this go by, and we can we can really not know what to do, and in that unknowing, you know, just be silent. But I think we need to very strategically begin to listen and to begin to speak into the healing that, that we all agree that God wants to bring. And I think the question is, are we really ready to receive that healing? And with students, they are pre-programmed for justice. They are a justice generation, and we need to understand that and work alongside how God has, has wired this generation so that we can see something new happen in this area that maybe we've never seen before in our nation's history. And I don't believe that reconciliation is going to come through social media. Honestly, I don't think by us posting an article or posting our thoughts and rants and our anger or confusion uh, to, to whoever is willing to follow us and listen, 
I don't believe that's going to happen. I think it needs to happen interpersonally, like stop and talk and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger and listen to what the other side is saying and in relationship with other people and not online. So I think as youth leaders, we need to help our students to understand that as well, that we we may be very passionate about this. We may see something needs to happen. It's not going to happen through social media by simply hitting that that post and walking away. Absolutely agree. And I hope that as believers for our students, we can set examples for them in those areas. And I've, I've shared this in the past, but I have a rule personally, I've asked our organization, our staff, and my family as well. Like when it comes to social media, don't post anything negative about anybody. You may disagree with someone, but real change happens in real time with real people. And that's what we've got to be focused on. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.